when you are receiving public funds to operate a private institution, whether you're Roncalli or the Archdiocese, then people are going to ask questions. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content. More conversation coming up after this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning. It's a simple handshake, but it's also a meeting that could have huge implications for our nation's highest court and here in Indiana in the race for U.S. Senate. Incumbent Senator Joe Donnelly meeting with the president's pick for the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh. This in the midst of a contentious midterm election year. Our Matt Smith has more. No cameras were allowed inside as Judge Brett Kavanaugh arrived to meet with Indiana Senator Joe Donnelly. The meeting lasted nearly 90 minutes. Donnelly's office sent us this picture and in a statement said the two had a wide-ranging conversation, adding Donnelly will continue to review Kavanaugh's record as outside pressure mounts. He's honored by the president's nomination and uh, a lot of of former clerks and friends and colleagues of his uh, over the years Um, are out trying to inform uh, people who don't know as much about Judge Kavanaugh about him. Justin Walker is a law professor at the University of Louisville who clerked for both retiring Justice Anthony Kennedy and Judge Kavanaugh. This week, he spoke to the Indianapolis chapter of the Federalist Society. He says, I want to be surrounded by people who are going to approach the law in an independent, thoughtful way because Judge Kavanaugh approaches the law in an independent, thoughtful way. So why won't Joe Donnelly commit to supporting Kavanaugh? Groups like the Judicial Crisis Network and Demand Justice are spending millions in states like Indiana, already more than a half a million in Indianapolis alone, in part to pressure Donnelly and entice voters to add pressure too. I think there are going to be people who are mad at him no matter which choice he makes. Jennifer Wagner is a Democratic strategist. Because we're 80 some odd days out from from a very important election and the balance of the Senate could very well hang on Indiana or West Virginia, and so people are going to make a big deal out of it. So in terms of actual vote counts, Republicans could do this on their own without any Democrats if all Republicans voted to confirm Kavanaugh. Donnelly was the second Democrat to meet with the president's nominee, followed by North Dakota Democratic Senator Heidi Heitkamp. Matt Smith reporting. Matt, thank you. Donnelly's opponent, Mike Braun, issued a statement saying, quote, after dragging his feet for a month, I'm glad Senator Donnelly is finally doing his job meeting with the president's Supreme Court nominee. Much more on Braun's reaction to this Donnelly meeting coming up later. Meantime, another big story we're following this week, the controversy at Roncalli High School, where a guidance counselor was suspended after the school learned of her same-sex marriage. It's not a public school, but they do get public money from school vouchers. And now the situation has some state lawmakers calling for a change in Indiana law. Our Trevor Shirley has more. Democrat Dan Forrestal doesn't want what happened at Roncalli High School to happen again. What I'm trying to do is to encourage the Archdiocese of Indianapolis to do the right thing here. Shelley Fitzgerald, a Roncalli High School counselor, is on paid leave after school leaders found out she married a woman in 2014, going against her school contract and the Indianapolis Archdiocese policy. Since 2013, Roncalli, a private Catholic school, has gotten $6.5 million in school voucher money. Forrestal, a Roncalli graduate himself, says his bill would block Indiana schools from taking state voucher money if they discriminate against employees based on sexual orientation or gender identity. The law wouldn't say that 
a, a private institution, the state's not coming in and telling them how to operate. What we're saying is, if you choose to operate in a discriminatory manner, then you will no longer be rewarded with public dollars. That would be a very innovative idea. To my knowledge, um, there are no other states right now that have built in protections for sexual orientation or gender identity into their voucher programs. IU law professor Steve Sanders, who specializes in LGBT legal issues, says the bill would be stronger if its protections went further to include race, ethnicity, or handicaps. We have to, you know, invest our money, our tax dollars, where our values lead us. Trevor Shirley reporting. By the way, IPS also in the news this week, a huge fight at Arsenal Tech leading to more questions about security as the district prepares to ask voters for more money to pay for safety and security this fall, along with another referendum to pay for teacher salaries. Earlier in the week before that fight at Arsenal Tech, I spoke with the superintendent about those ballot measures, which could be among the biggest issues on the ballot this year here in Indianapolis two issues uh, on the ballot this fall, including this $220 million referendum on the ballot to pay for teacher salaries. A lot went into reaching that, that figure of $220 million. You originally wanted to ask for more. Will this be enough, or will you need to come back to voters for more money soon, even if this passes in November? You know, it's early to determine if this is enough. You know, this particular ask on the operating side is still contingent upon us saving uh, from the operational analysis that we partner with the Indianapolis Chamber of Commerce on. And so in addition to the work we want to do around compensation for our employees, uh, we're able to realize the savings as projected. Uh, I anticipate we will not need to come back to voters and taxpayers uh, if not, or if there's shifts in some of our projections around revenue. For example, we were very generous with what we anticipate for state funding or uh, property value growth. And so if those things don't materialize, we would have to come back. Uh, but if all goes well and we realize the savings that have been projected, we should be in a good place. Well, you've also suggested that some schools may still need to close even if this passes, uh, perhaps 12 to 20 schools? Yeah, we don't have an exact number at this point. We need to do an analysis and redistricting study to see where we need to shift and potentially close schools. We do need to close some schools at the elementary level. Uh, the number is yet to be determined, uh, but we have some of our elementary schools that are underutilized, and clearly that's not the best use of our, our taxpayer dollars. We want to ensure we're more prudent there, uh, as we've done with our high schools. Talking about two different items that are up this year, this $220 million referendum for operating costs for teacher salaries, and also uh, $52 million, a capital referendum to pay for security and safety upgrades. Tell us about that, because obviously we live in a time where too often we hear about incidents in, in schools nationwide. Uh, how will this money help, and, and are we doing enough to keep our kids safe? Yeah, so the first thing I would remind our community is that our public schools still remain some of the safest places for our young people. And so I know safety is top of mind for a lot of families, uh, but they should know that most schools are extremely safe for students. What we're doing here in the capital referendum is we're addressing some of our capital needs, but the majority of the dollars are around proactive uh, safety measures such as lighting or emergency response communication. So where we can improve, we want to do that, but also remind families that 
Uh, we're not only being very proactive, but we're maintaining uh, many of our policies, practices, and procedures to remain safe on our campuses. Also, obviously in Broad Ripple, this, the, uh, the school there, the high school, uh, up for sale, and that's been a big topic in the news. Some state lawmakers this past week, including Speaker Bosma, have written you a letter asking you to move forward with this proposal to sell Broad Ripple High School to Purdue Polytechnic, essentially let them use that space. They're asking you to act on that quickly here. What's your response uh, to lawmakers who are, who are making the case for, for Purdue Polytechnic to be in that facility? Yeah, so Purdue Polytechnic has been in a partner of the district and it's one of our innovation schools and we recognize the importance for their expansion. However, we have other partners and there could be other entities that are interested in the facility and so we believe the more responsible process for us is to ensure that we cast a wide net uh, to see what all the interests you know, will be and, and what the interested parties are, and then we can evaluate those proposals and then make a determination of what's the best path forward. But, you know, not having a transparent process where we entertain all proposals, uh, you, you know, would, would not be the, the smartest uh, approach and doesn't reflect our practice and past. Is that a proposal you're ruling out at this point, still considering? Yeah, it's, how it's not a proposal that we're take? ruling out. You okay. know, we just don't want to enter into an agreement without entering into a process that's transparent, that includes community engagement, and also uh, gives us the ability to entertain other proposals. Uh, and so, you know, we, we, we don't want to, again, uh, jump the gun here and, um, you know, we appreciate our legislators interested in Broad Ripple High School. Uh, but we have a process to follow, and it's one that's been real successful for us and one that I know the community appreciates. And I'm sure our legislators would not want us to uh, circumvent due diligence as we think about the repurpose of Broad Ripple High School. So um, I trust that they will understand that we need to ensure that we entertain all proposals and continue our due diligence. All right, that's a story we'll continue to follow and also we'll keep an eye on things there uh, this fall as we move toward uh, the referendum on the ballot in November. Dr. Farabee, thank you so much for thank joining us. Thank you for having me. We appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank you so much. Okay, up next, we'll talk with our panel about this week's top stories, including a, a wild week at the White House amidst this reality show drama playing out between the president and his former aide. Also, state lawmakers here in Indiana talking about the issue of medical marijuana. Could it become a reality here? All right, our panel joins us now. Rob Burgess, former communications director for Congressman Trey Hollingsworth. Democratic strategist Lara Beck with us today as well, along with former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy and Jamar Kobzadar, the executive director of the 10-100 committee. So another really wild week in Washington, right? We'll get into the Donnelly-Kavanaugh meeting here in a minute. But first, uh, let's talk about the impact of all of this controversy. What does it mean in the midst of this midterm election year? The Trump-Amarosa tapes, the, the feud back and forth there, the security clearance issue, the Manafort trial. What impact will that have this, this election year? This confuses undecided voters. Uh, they're hearing mixed messages going back and forth with the Trump campaign, and then that filtering down to those on their local and state ballots. Uh, really, this is going to have an impact closer to the election. Uh, but one other thing we have to think about is what else is going on behind the scenes, especially with that Russia uh, trial uh, and investigation that this confusion is masking. Uh, what about these Omarosa tapes? Will that make an impact here in, no, in entertainment Indiana tonight. at all? It's, it's kind of fun to watch from once in a while. You know, maybe on Twitter you catch a comment or two. 
But uh, I agree with Jamar that um, we are going to, it's going to be a while before we know how voters are going to trend. It, but uh, Trump is actually uh, seeding the confusion on purpose because every time Mueller makes another piece of progress, he throws out a crazy tape that all of us pundits sit around and talk about for two days. And that's what his goal is, to keep everything confused and off of Mueller. And, and as we head toward the midterms, that question of whether Hoosier voters will be watching, will be paying attention to all of these issues, will, it, will issues here at home dominate the landscape? Will there be a blue wave? Well, I think all politics is local, first of all. Yep. Um, and I think there's been a lot of discussion about this blue wave. Um, and I, I don't want to hurt any feelings of any of my Democrat friends, but um, we can't take anything for granted. We've got to work incredibly hard. And we can't assume that there's going to be a blue wave. Because again, we have no idea what Donald Trump is going to do between now and Election Day. I will say, when we go back to that entertainment factor about those tapes, um, when you think about it, there is a level of psychological warfare that Omarosa is playing sure. with staff members. <laughs> and when you, if anyone who's ever worked on a staff before, if you are in that bunker mentality, you make mistakes. And so Trump, we already know, um, operates from a very interesting perspective. So how that's going to impact his staff and how that could potentially impact the vice president, we don't know yet. And will it impact voters at all? Yeah, that's, exactly. That's and absolutely. I think that one thing that you're seeing very uniquely happen with this White House, though, in this midterm cycle, is they're treating it very differently than White Houses of the past. You know, just look at Ohio. They saw what was going to work for Republicans in that race, and they sent out the tools that were needed. You know, it wasn't necessarily the president coming in guns blazing, right? And so is there going to be a blue wave that hits Indiana? I don't think so. But more importantly, I think that we need to talk about the enthusiasm gap. I don't think it's on the Democrat side of the aisle. I think it's on the Republican side. Well, of the like aisle. you said, all politics is local, but also right. there is this national dynamic. Should Democrats be concerned when things like Governor Cuomo in New York and his uh, statement about America never was that great? Things along those lines. Could that have an impact on uh, the Senate race here? It's something Joe Donnelly should be worried about. Well, I think the rise that, of democratic socialism. Yeah, and I think that that one of the things that we I think have to fight with constantly as Democrats, especially in the heartland, is that the Democrats on the coast don't necessarily understand um, some of the bread and butter issues that we face and our constituents face. So the Hillary Clinton deplorables con comment, which somewhat was taken out of context, that's kind of a great example of that. Um, but on the same side, you've got Republicans saying the same thing, so we're able to use that ammo against them as well. I would say that the Cuomo statement was stunningly stupid, but it's not going to affect a single Indiana race. No Indiana House member, U.S. House member, is going to lose, Republican or Democrat. There's going to be no wave in Indiana. People generally vote for the local congressman they like, and generally Hoosiers are happy with their congressman, whether it be a Republican or a Democrat. Obviously, a uh, big issue in our Senate race this year, the Supreme Court vote. So we want to get your thoughts on, on Senator Donnelly meeting with uh, Brett Kavanaugh, but also this, this side issue that's popped up here, the Braun campaign critical of Senator Donnelly's office for not allowing cameras into that meeting, his office taking this video instead, releasing it to the media. Uh, also, some of this has popped up on YouTube. Now the Braun campaign saying they think it's because Donnelly wants to use this in a campaign ad. Does, does any of this matter to, to voters? Yes. Uh, you know, there was some recent polling that uh, came out that referenced what happens to those voters' mentalities if uh, and when Senator Donnelly votes for or doesn't vote for Kavanaugh, and it t tends you to mean increase the Kavanaugh the, vote itself matters to right. voters. Yeah. Uh, and it tends to increase the, the undecideds, right, and, and, and impact that. And that's really what's going to impact that Senate race as we get a little bit closer to uh, Election Day. Uh, now, right now, Senator Donnelly is doing his job, and fortunately, he's not using the same obstructionist tactics that the Republicans 
Republicans used when it came to Obama's time to appoint Supreme Court justices. So thank you, Senator Donnelly, for doing the right thing. That poll that Jamar mentioned had Senator Donnelly up double digits this week. That, was a, that was a poll that was partially phone, partially email. You have to ask a lot of questions about that poll. For example, how do they choose their email universe? Um, I mean, you, too much to talk about in the short time we have here. But it was a faulty poll. I'm looking for a real poll from a real media outlet. Now, as far as video of the Kavanaugh-Donnelly meeting, I wouldn't allow video in a meeting. I had a private meeting. If I had a private meeting with a U.S. Supreme Court uh, nominee and I was have, going to have to interview him on whether I was going to vote for him, I'd like to see the candidates focus on the issues, focus on the economy, focus on the deregulation of government, important issues to the people of Indiana. A columnist in the Washington Examiner called it a uh, silly filming fiasco and made a good point here, calling out both sides kind of for going overboard on that issue. He said, Democrats should let the press do the photography and Republicans should realize the opponents already have all the B-roll footage they already need for this <laughs> kind of thing. Well, I was, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, they, they've had a tracker on Joe Donnelly for I don't know how long. Um, so I think they're going to get anything that they want to get that, you know, they can use in an ad. Um, I think this is just case in point of Senator Donnelly, do, as Jamar said, doing his job. I mean, that's what people vote for him to do. They vote for him to govern in a bipartisan way, and he has, and that's why he's leading in the polls. Maybe not as much as the poll that you're questioning, but that's why I think people really like him. Um, he listens to both sides, and I think that's what we want our senator to do. And so, you know, you can take your shot back on Merrick Garland if you'd like to. Um, <laughs> you, you just jump right in, but no, and, making a big deal about, you know, filming or not, that's just a desperate campaign move, in my opinion. As far as is Joe Donnelly doing his job, I disagree with you. You know, if you look at the last three Supreme Court nominations, he took three times as long to meet with this nominee than any other nominee that he sat down with as, are you a senator? That's playing politics with the nomination. But furthermore, having been a comms director on the Hill, you need to have a standard policy when it comes to cameras and the press array when you do meetings like this. Don't change it on a flip of a coin, right? You're either going to have a photo array beforehand. Dan, you came and saw us in D.C. before. We made it available, but we had a standard rule. No video allowed in the office. Donnelly uh, did it the same way for Gorsuch. Obviously, the temperature elevated a bit now in the midst of the Senate race. Let's talk about this uh, controversy here in Indianapolis this week at Ron Colley High School. The guidance counselor suspended because of her same-sex marriage. Now some Democrats at the State House want to look into this question of vouchers and whether private schools getting public money should have to play by the same rules when it when it comes to issues like this. Uh, certainly a controversy that, that is at the uh, intersection here of, of civil rights, school vouchers, a lot of issues uh, involved in this particular story. Right, Dan, and I applaud uh, Representative Forrestal for his, his uh, being out front about introducing legislation to make sure that this type of uh, behavior and uh, these types of policies aren't funded by state monies. Uh, it's going to be a, a tough road to hoe, and I think back to the uh, Ivy Tech versus Hively case, which is still bouncing around uh, at the appellate level at the federal court of uh, how these civil rights play out uh, with uh, jobs and HR and uh, now coming into state money. Hey, you guys both have some Ron Colley connections here. This has been a big controversy there. This well, week. it has, and I and actually have known Shelley Fitzgerald yeah. in her role with my children as a, as a guidance counselor. She was a great guidance counselor, but the fact is um, the, the church, which is uh, Ron Colley High School, which is an extension of the church, the has Catholic a First church, Amendment yeah exemption which is going to hold no matter how many people have rallies and lay shirts on the on the uh, on the parking lot she is 
she is right to do what she wants with her life, but she is wrong on the, on the policy and the Constitution, and that's going to bear itself out over time. We'll see, though. It seems perhaps uh, the school is at least, for the moment, listening to some of the protests that, that are taking place before ultimately deciding how to Yeah, from what you can forward. see on, on social media, um, I think it, it appears that they are. I, I think, though, that what gets lost in this discussion as well is that um, Representative Forrestal, who's one of the ones who really raised the flag on this, is actually a Roncalli alum. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that he's coming at this from a personal place, but he's also coming at it from a place of being a state legislator and being a good steward of public resources. Okay. And that's the challenge. When you are a private institution and you get public funding, um, doesn't matter how you get it, doesn't matter who gives it to you, you still have to have those conversations. And the voucher and the choice law is old enough now that this might be a good time to go ahead and open that back up and take a look at what works and what doesn't. We'll see how and what's it all plays yeah, out. Feasible. We'll, we'll talk mm -hmm. more about that on our podcast as uh, well as a couple of other local issues. Up next, we're talking about medical marijuana and hearing from a couple of state lawmakers who want to make it legal here in Indiana. Stick around. We'll be right back. Some Indiana lawmakers recently joined Hoosier veterans at the Medical Cannabis Town Hall. Medical marijuana potentially gaining some momentum at the state house. Many say opioids are just too dangerous, and they want a safer alternative for things like pain and PTSD. You look at, you know, the devastation from opioids, and then you look at marijuana. I mean, you're not finding people dying from marijuana, and you're finding people who tell me that when they've um, been able to get it, it relieves them of pain that they're having. We're seeing 30 states right now have a medical program, um, 10 states right now currently have a recreational, and that number grows. We're seeing that grow. So I, I look forward to having that, that discussion. State Rep Jim Lucas recently traveled to Colorado where uh, recreational marijuana is legal. As for medical marijuana here, a number of state lawmakers say they'll try again next year, but still a lot of questions whether that legislation will even get a hearing. We'll keep you posted. And we'll be back right after this with this week's Winners and Losers. Stick around. Finally, this week's winners and losers, Rob. Uh, I'm going to say winner is Mike Braun because the pressure that he put on Joe Donnelly to meet with uh, Brett Kavanaugh finally paid off. Laura. Okay, I'm going to say winner is Joe Donnelly just to go up against him. <laughs> Mike. Our winners are uh, the U.S. Senate for reaffirming the free press in America and also the Republican Party because the Democrats are spending the whole weekend in French Lick. No. Jamari, get the last word. My loser is Donald Trump for calling Omarosa a dog and his blatant racism completely unpresidential. All right, we'll leave it there for this week's show. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. Let's talk more on the podcast here about the, this controversy around Kali High School. We were starting to get into that uh, on the program and what could happen here at the Statehouse. Jamar, you mentioned this could really be a, a tough climb at yeah, the Statehouse. Yeah, I, I was thinking back, actually, uh, to Title VII and how there aren't protections for... Uh, sexual orientation, but there are protections for sex, and that's bouncing across, you know, around the, the districts and the circuits all across the country, is is sexual orientation included in, in the sex piece, and then also the uh, legislative history about how the word sex got put into Title VII in the first place, and that it's kind of loosey-goosey and wasn't really meant to be in there in the first place. So um, that is going to be, I mean, when if this piece of legislation gets written, and it gets to committee and people start discussing it, um, that could bring a big light to our state uh, in terms of how we move it forward and if we move it forward. But is it going to get that far? 
No. First of all, as I mentioned off off camera, the worst way to get anything accomplished in the state house is to announce you're going to do something because then you the, the opponents have four months to pick you apart and put all their grassroots efforts together. Number one. Number two. The courts. Have, and I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer like Jamari is, but the courts have ruled in cases that um, that in private schools when you have private schools that getting public money does not take away your religious. Um, preference or whatever you want to call it exemption. And so and that can be litigated till, you know, we all turn green. Well that's the question, yeah. Does that precedent hold? Does this particular circumstance find its so way I, into the courts? I so, think yeah. back to uh, segregation policies and race discrimination and private schools uh, using uh, acceptance basically acceptance standards to continue segregation and that was stopped uh, because uh, of public laws. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah. But it, at the same time I I've got to say that just like the school voucher system works, parents have an, a choice of where they want to send their children to school. We as adults have a decision and a choice of where we work. You know, and if this is your lifestyle, you know, that, that's 100% okay. You know, it's legal in our country, but you can't go to a parochial school and say, you have to change your rules for me. But she's well, also been is, there. There's a little bit of a difference, though, just in, in knowing, um, in sort of knowing that, that school, they refer to themselves as a family. So their gym has always been called the family room, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that when you are raised, um, if, you are, if you come up through Catholic schools, I believe she did, she went to high school there. Um, to me, the Roncalli community, based on what I have seen from her interviews, the Roncalli community was so important to her and being in that school environment, being a part of that community, that it was, um, it, it, it was, that was more important to her than letting everyone know who she was. And so, but, it, to me, it says a lot about her love for the school and her love for that. Sure, so, but I, th I think there's three, there's three elements. You have, to, you have to, unfortunately, you have to separate them. There's no doubt that Shelley Fitzgerald was a, is a great uh, school guidance mm -hmm. counselor, a great person. You gotta separate that out. Secondly, because nobody, nobody argues about that. Mm -mm. Secondly, is the legal situation, and people are still arguing about, but as of today, in August of 2018, she loses, okay? Then you have the church part of it, where you have the Catholic Diocese of Indianapolis actually in contradiction in some ways to the statements, the public statements of the Pope, right? Mm -hmm. Who says That's God true. loves all yeah. gay people and you can't judge him. And right? the former Archbishop who has had masses for LGBT members. Yeah, exactly. So the church has posting. to settle that out. Now, I'm a lifelong Catholic and what I always say is there's a difference between the faith and the church. Yeah. The yeah. faith is not imperfect. The church is very well, human and very and imperfect. We can't ignore, obviously, the news in Pennsylvania this yeah. week about the Catholic Church as well. Uh, the, just uh, horrific news about uh, the hundreds of, of priests who were involved in the, the child abuse situation there. That has obviously dominated the news in terms of the Catholic Church uh, th this week as well and has even been brought into this conversation somewhat in, in terms of, of people talking about the Catholic Church and where it stands on on certain issues. And, and I do want to say, say this one thing is, is why now? So she's been in this relationship for 20 years. She's been working at the school for 15. So why all of a sudden is this an issue? She chose where to work. They, they chose uh, to hire her. And uh, at some point, this has probably come out in the past 15 years. So now it's suddenly an issue. Well, we don't know that. And you're the lawyer. You should know better than to say that because we don't know that. I mean, it's don't know what? that it's come out sometime in the past 15 years. We just don't know. But it could somebody, have, right? Somebody, well, yeah, it could yeah. have, but all kinds of things could have happened. But 
somebody obviously ratted her out. We don't know who it was. Maybe somebody knows who it was. Could have, I mean, you want to speculate who it was, but it, somebody ratted her out. Right. And at the end of the day, Mike Wright, this is not a reconciliation in my eyes between the state and the court and the school. This is a reconciliation between the archdiocese and the school. But I also think, though, um, when you are taken, and I think this is going to, I think this is going to come up, and I think that um, Representative Forrestal is, is wise to bring it up because when you are receiving public funds to operate a private institution, whether you're Ron Collier or the archdiocese, then people are going to ask questions. And the voucher law is, Jamar, you, you probably know this better than I do. What, what is it? Five, four three years old. So let's look at how long we've been accepting vouchers and maybe this is an opportunity to take a look at that choice program and to make some adjustments to it. And I think that what you may run into is you may run into legislators in other parts of the state um, who are watching, you know, Fort Wayne would be an example, where Fort Wayne has really, those public schools have really taken a hit because of the voucher program. So you got to look at some of those communities and you may have some legislators who are friendly to that. Well, I mean, that, that's a good segue into um, the IPS referendum here in the Indianapolis area, right? Where our public school system has a responsibility, not only to families, but to children to, profess, to provide the best possible education that they can. And if they aren't capable of meeting that standard, a family shouldn't be beholden based off their zip code. I don't, and I don't, but I, I'll say this, I don't think anyone is, I don't think the voucher program is gonna go away. I, I don't think that that choice program is gonna go away. I think it is, old enough and I think it is institutionalized enough now that people know what their options are or they're learning what their options are. I'm just saying that from the public perception issue, uh, that could tip people in that direction. We'll see what happens at the State House. Uh, also this week, another big local story, uh, City County Councilor Jeff Miller resigning from the council, uh, pleading guilty to battery uh, on a minor. Republicans now have 30 days to replace him. They've been calling for him to step down, Mike, ever since this story broke. Some people uh, wondering if perhaps he, he got a better plea deal than your average person would in this circumstance. Uh, perhaps not for us to, to say, hard to say. What about the politics of this now? Well, it, it, it's, it's all hard to say. It's hard to judge because none of us were in the courtroom or know all the evidence. Right. But, you know, I have to assume that the prosecutor did as well as he could and probably was not able to prove any sexual offense or sexual nature, so they had to get him with, with simple battery. Now, what I have a little bit of a problem with, just as a, you know, as a resident of Indianapolis and of Indiana, is four felonies. And in, in theory, in a couple of years after probation, those four felonies are wiped off back to misdemeanors if he files a petition. And I think the, the, um, the consequences should be greater than that, quite mm -hmm. frankly. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you know, our definition of justice is gonna vary between everybody here at this table mm -hmm. And uh, the ultimate um, uh, judges should probably be the families of the victims. Well, here he is stepping down uh, upon pleading guilty after months and months of, of almost pretending like this never happened, uh, going sure. to all the council meetings and going along with regular business as if this wasn't even uh, a thing that had occurred. Um, so, so obviously now they've been calling for him to step down he has uh, he'll be replaced on the council um, what, what are the big takeaways here what's what are the lessons learned so as of yesterday Jeff Miller was still posting council agendas right as if he was still doing his job and uh, on one of the boards that I sit on he was 
after he was kicked out of the caucus, still coming to our board meetings advocating for his citizens to make sure that his citizens' voices were heard. Now, here's one thing that I know about um, Jeff Miller and competing against him in the 2015 election with um, Emily Schrock is that he is a fierce advocate for his neighborhood. And uh, to many, he was a very, very good city councilor. So this opens up a good door for Democrats to come in and, and, mm -hmm. and take that seat back. Uh, I believe Kristen Jones has already filed yeah, for that seat. File. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see who the Republicans put in, because now that puts that uh, seat for 2019 in game play. Yeah, you're putting someone in place who essentially might then be running for the seat well, again. Well, he had become a distraction, though, for that district. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. and, and he had become a distraction. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, there was even a, was it an Alcoholic Beverage Commission meeting? There was a public meeting where actually somebody punched him and there was yeah. a fight. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I think that it, it had become such a toxic situation. Uh, it... You just feel for those victims. Yeah, um, no you really do, and but, and and for their families you know, too. The one thing, though, I, I do have to commend the the Republican caucus and, and the Marion County GOP and ND GOP is they didn't take any time to say the allegations were wrong, right? From and the get go, from they, the get go, it, you need to resign. Down. You need to you need yeah. to find a way to settle this, and you need to not distract from the business of the people. Um, um, also, so. meantime, obviously, we're, we're looking ahead to next year and, mm -hmm. and a mayor's race as well. There was a little bit of uh, activity on, on Twitter this past week at the end of the week with another councilman, Jose Evans, who seems like he may be running uh, for mayor. In fact, State Senator Mike Delf suggested Jose Evans would be a great candidate for mayor. A lot of people talking about Jim Merritt as well. Who, who's going to run for mayor against, against Mayor Hogshead, who, by the way, went in front of the council I this week to present his budget I think for it's Mike year. Murphy, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard Dan Spieler. No, no, no. no, no, no. I, I, stay out I, I just talk about Mike Murphy. We were in the same <laughs> position. I just snorted. I'm sorry. Never on again. And I think we talked about the podcast. We just talked a little bit about this last week. I was in the same position in 2006 was county yeah. chairman. I, I, I called, I must have called people four days a week to ask them to run for mayor and got turned down. <laughs> I remember calling Jim Morris's wife and saying, can you please convince Jim to run for mayor? And she said, Mike, he's not going to end his career where he began. And who right? ended up because running for mayor in the end? Yeah. Greg Ballard. Ballard. Yeah. But Came I will tell you way. that right now, things, right then, things look pretty hopeless. In August of 2006, for the Republicans having a shot, you know, Mayor Peterson, you know, became more and more aloof and distant. You know, he passed these tax increases. Um, it was not the Republicans who launched the grassroots uh, uh, protest. It was people like Dave Bond and people in the Washington Township area who were just, what was the saying, had enough? Well, they, they had had enough. I knew that Ballard was going to win when I held a fundraiser with him with some friends in Washington Township three weeks before the election. They were a Democratic ward chairman at a Republican fundraiser. I mean, people mm. had had enough. Are we at the same spot this time? We don't have a candidate? Who, don't, who knows? I think that um, Merritt, um, in the past couple days, has said on camera that he's seriously considering running. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Yeah, we're not at the same spot that we were in 2006. Joe Hogsett hasn't made the same plays. He's actually stayed very, very safe and has doubled down in making sure that we have an investment in infrastructure. I, I see you got something to say, but I, I'm going to finish my sentence here. I, I bet he's going to uh, say something about potholes. If I, if I well, he's, 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 he's increased his investment in potholes by $30 million in terms of the budget that's been presented um, and making sure that our town in a bipartisan way is, is working. Um, now, what's interesting is they kind of didn't have a candidate in 2015 uh, with Chuck Brewer, and they had to fight for that. Uh, and now we're in the same situation, which uh, is puzzling to me, that the Republicans in four years can't field somebody great to come up against Joe. Uh, 
I disagree. I think that we are very close to an August of 2006 situation. And the reason why I say that is, you know, per, per, uh, perpetual candidate Joe Hogsett ran on a crime and punishment platform. You know, he was going to clean up the city. He was going to lower the crime rates. He was going to clean up the streets. He was going to make sure the streets were in good shape. And so far, he hasn't been able to accomplish any of it. You know, he's presented three budgets. Not one of them has been honestly but, uh, balanced. You know, he's not being a good steward of the taxpayer. He's not being a good steward of their trust. And he hasn't uh, completed one of his key tenant campaign goals. And I think the voters are going to remember that in 2019. I think we also have to look, though. I mean, going back to 2006, um, I was actually running a countywide campaign that year. And um, going back to that, we are a much more Democratic county uh, I think today than we were Most 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think Marion County has really trended. I think in 06, there were a couple of um, townships that we were really closely watching, and, and because that was also the Carl Brizzy Molina Kennedy prosecutor year, so that was mm -hmm. one that everyone was watching very closely. That's, that's why I um, long suggested allowing the donut counties to vote in the Indianapolis mayor's race. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right. But that's okay. what we got a lot of talking about. We'll go ahead and enact the commuter tax while we're at it. A um, commuter tax and you get right. to vote in Marion County. And you can all the schools and fix IPS's issues. Right, exactly. Boom, wow. Um, so I think that you also have to look at the, at the demographics and the numbers as well. Sure. You know, and that's fair, but the one, the one bellwether that I've used for almost 12 years now is if you look at Andre Carson's congressional district, Greg Ballard, a white Republican, outperformed Andre Carson in his own congressional district every time Greg Ballard was on the ballot. You know, in, in Carson was above him on the ballot. That's impressive in its own right. So while yes, the county and the city might be trending more Democrat, that's not evidence to me that a Republican can't win. Well, I think in Indianapolis, though, we tend to, having worked for Mayor Peterson in the first term, we tend to want to vote for people who we can really identify with. And we really want to feel like we can reach out and touch our mayor. It's even more, it's definitely more personal, um, particularly than uh, than governor, than senator. Oh, sure. It's it's that real personal connection that we want to have to them. Um, I, but ballot drop-off's a thing. You, you've been in the business for a long time to know that ballot drop-off is a thing in, in race. But Laura's right, and the, the mayor is a 24-hour job. It is. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I never ran for you, you yeah, can't it get is. away from it. I mean, church, school, mm -hmm. grocery here's, store. Here's people a classic hit you example. Up. I worked for Joe Kernan and for First Lady Maggie Kernan, and when he was when he was mayor of South Bend, he used to get a phone call every time the plow plowed a little ridge of snow over an old woman's driveway. <laughs> and he finally got so many phone calls, he put a shovel in the back of his car, in his <laughs> trunk, do it himself, drove huh? over to her house <laughs> and would shovel her out so she could get to the grocery store or church or wherever she was going. I mean, that's what big city and small city yeah. mayors do. Yeah. And so I think that, and in Indianapolis, we want to see instant results from our mayors. And so I think that that's probably, uh, it doesn't, and I think Mayor Ballard was also very connected here, mm -hmm. and his family was connected here, and I think people had that familiarity with him. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next year for sure. Thank you guys. Thank you all for being Thanks. on the program thank this you. week, and thank you all for listening. We'll see you again next week.